It is uh, 2.04 here uh, at 98.1 WQAQ, and I'm going to be your host today, Peter Howarth, for a new show here called Throwback Saturday. It is uh, on a Thursday, I know, a little, uh, you know, not exactly ideal for a uh, for a show on Thursday, Saturday, but uh, it's all good. So I'm going to be talking about everything that's happening in sports at the moment, and we're going to contextualize it through statistics. Now, I'm mainly a football, baseball, basketball guy, so that will sort of center uh, what I'm going to talk about because that's why I feel uh, qualified to share with everyone here. Um, so today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, the most valuable player race, specifically as it pertains to the American League because it is a historic race right now. Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani are both doing just incredible things, and that is really worth debating and as it, as we get into the last couple of weeks of the season we are going to see some more stand-up performances by both guys obviously there's some different situations in terms of uh their surrounding cast for the angels once again being out of the playoff race and even though the yankees have been a floundering team in the second half of the season they are still in prime position to make a run at the al pennant and be in the conversation for the World Series. So we'll get more into that. But the Most Valuable Player Award, this gets tossed around a lot, but I think we need to break down what valuable means in this context. And so we're going to go around uh, all three sports here, uh, basketball, football, baseball, and just the rationale that voters typically have to uh, decide this award and how that compares to some of the results uh, lately. So in terms of the NBA from what we've seen lately, usually goes to a, a best individual performance in a single season. The record seems to not matter, although we'll get into some stats showing that maybe it does, actually, that your team may need to perform well in the regular season. Football, it is a quarterback-driven award, mainly because quarterback is the most important position, pretty much, in professional sports due to the singular impact that that player can drive to a team success only 16 well now 17 games um you know they are the leader of the offense and the identity of the team face of the franchise so there's a lot of narrative uh driven to that and it is tied to team performance a lot so if a quarterback performs well and leads their team to a bye in the playoffs only one bye now due to the expanded playoff structure in the nfl then is uh, going to help their cases for uh, MVP. And then baseball, what is, which is what our main focus is on today, is probably the most debated. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons of that. It's a extremely long season, 162 games. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> what else is there to talk about? You'll see it in broadcasts when even, even if you're watching like a Royals-Twins game, they'll talk about Otani and Judge because it's so compelling and you know, this is why we watch to watch these amazing performances. And yeah, I'd say it's very stats driven and that honestly it makes a lot of sense for baseball with the way sabermetrics uh really came out of baseball and is the most I would say advanced statistics driven sport. And the advanced statistics are probably the most accessible to the average fan in baseball than any other sport. I mean, I'll get into some advanced stats for other sports, but they're just not used as in as commonplace and on radio, Twitter, um, you know, wherever you invest in your sports news and information. But like PER and win shares in basketball, those are stats I look at. And but you have to really look at them a lot in order to become familiar. And they don't really they may not mean as much to you as as you see something like on base percentage or um uh, slugging percentage in baseball. Um, but so let's take basically those three narratives there that we're talking about, how NBA, NFL, and MLB really go about their selection for selecting MVPs and look at that through the lens of the most recent MVPs in each sport because I think it's worth looking at to see if, if those sort of rationales I've deciphered really hold up. Starting with the NBA, last year's most valuable player, two-time in a row, actually, back-to-back. Nikola Jokic, center of the De- Denver Nuggets. He's really an advanced stats darling. Twitter loves him, and for good reason. 
He is uh, first in PER, that stands for Player Efficiency Rating. It really measures a uh, production of a given player uh, per minute. And it also standardizes it so that the average player is as a 15 PER. This is sort of similar if you follow baseball stats such as OPS+, where it takes uh, the OPS of a player, which is on-base percentage plus slugging percentage, and it standardizes it across ballparks so that 100 is an average OPS, so then, or OPS plus, rather, and so then you can compare those, and it's an easy way to see how much better a given player is than another player. Also helps for comparing across eras to see, you know, how close of a performance Aaron Judge is having this year than to, say, Barry Bonds was in the early 2000s. No one can really compare to Barry Bonds, but then again, that was a more juiced era. It was, dare I say, the juiced era. So it is interesting to use stats like OPS Plus to compare across. Uh, back to Jokic, he's also first in win shares. Win shares estimate uh, really how many wins a player contributes uh, for a season. So he had 15.2 last year. Uh, there's a steep drop-off uh, to Giannis at 12.9, number two and Joel Embiid at 12.0 at number three. And then he's also first in win shares per 48. Now, that may seem uh, sort of obvious, but uh, what's really important about win shares per 48 is it takes uh, win shares, which we just introduced, and it turns it into a per-minute stat. So it elevates players that may be very impactful in a, in a shorter per-minute basis, say like a Robert Williams or a... Uh, or like a Lou Williams, maybe a sixth-man type player. Um, for instance, uh, Jokic, though, he was still first place in win shares per 48 last season, so that shows that he was both a volume monster, so he was able to uh, really stack up a lot of win shares because he was he was available. He was he was in the lineup every night, and he played you know, probably something like 40 minutes a night, and uh, there's a lot of value in that, but at the same time, he wasn't just trotting out there and because that's what the team's only option was he was valuable on a permanent basis having a 0.296 win shares per 48 followed by Giannis Antetokounmpo at 0.281 and then Rudy Gobert at 0.264 Rudy Gobert is actually someone else who is very loved by the advanced stats even if that might not translate to an on-court performance if he really can't be relied on on the court in uh, deep into a playoff run due to his um well i the offensive players aren't really scared of rudy gobert even if he's a multiple time defensive player of the year he doesn't really strike fear into players the same way uh maybe other defenders do uh Jokic also he led a nuggets team that was about its second and third best players last year michael porter jr and jamal murray to 48 and 34 uh, sixth in the West. Mo- most importantly, that meant that the Nuggets did not have to play in the play-in tournament, the play-in tournament as it was introduced, I believe, two seasons ago. Uh, it includes the 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeds uh, in the given conference, and they compete to get those last two seeds. So getting five or six, allow- or one through six, rather, allows you to avoid that play-in and, and secure your spot and not have to be in this uh, double elimination tournament. Moving on to the NFL, Aaron Rodgers, another back-to-back MVP. Uh, he had just another incredibly efficient year. That's really what he does. And he led the Packers to 13-4 and number one seed in the NFC. Again, the MVP is a regular season award. So the Packers were disappointing in the playoffs against the San Francisco 49ers. The Nuggets were only the sixth seed in the West. So it doesn't penalize a poor playoff performance. Um, so, yeah, that's how that works. Uh, for In terms of Rodgers' advanced statistics, he was first in passer rating last year at 111.9, first in quarterback rating, 69.1, first in pass interception, interception percentage at 0.8%, very, very low, and first in passing touchdown percentage at 7%. So really to paint the picture, those four stats – he was very reliable with the ball in his hands, did not turn the ball over, and was also uh, very efficient at turning uh, possessions and passes into touchdowns, which is everything you want in quarterback to be able to control the ball, uh, not hand it over to the other team, and then capitalize on those possessions into points. So 
Uh, he was rewarded with another MVP. Rodgers usually leads the league in interception percentage or just flat-out interceptions in total because he is just so great at putting the ball where he needs to. And he also does it at a high uh, volume uh, because that is evidenced by the pass interception percentage. It's not like he's only throwing the ball 20 times a game and he's not throwing that many picks. No, I mean, he's still throwing it 30, 35 times a game, needing to throw it in order to uh, lead the Packers' victory. Now, that might be a different case this year without Devontae Adams in town. Alan Lazard just returned to practice this week after he, I believe he stepped on someone's foot in practice two weeks ago. So he will be relying on that running back tandem of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. But, I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. He will still pass the ball. Uh, Matt LaFleur will still give him opportunities to cook. So I wouldn't be too uh, scared about that. And then to baseball, last year's American League MVP, of course, was Shohei Otani, the most you know, amazing and maybe improbable performance we've, dare I say, ever seen in a season. And then Bryce Harper is the National League MVP, a lot more of a uh, traditional MVP season where he led all of Major League Baseball in OPS uh, above one, which is always a nice little threshold to see at 1.044. Also led in slugging percentage at uh, 0.615. Second in on-base percentage at 0.429. That's just because Juan Soto's superhuman on-base percentage of 4.65 led all of baseball. But let's, uh, let's try to contextualize um, uh, their performances because uh, Otani and Harper were the best players on their team. And uh, as we saw in the other sports, Nikola Jokic, best player on the Nuggets, and he led them to a playoff berth, not, not, not first seed in the West, uh, but they still avoid the play-in, which is, as I was stating earlier, like an achievement for them. And then Aaron Rodgers leading the Packers to the one seed in the NFC and they avoided a first round game which is a huge advantage but so the Angels led by Otani they had a 77 and 85 record last year fourth in the American League West 15 games back at the wild card spot so they were very relevant going down the stretch even if Otani was performing well uh, and this wasn't a big difference in terms of their record in previous years. So it's not like Otani, uh, you know, had this amazing performance and it got them farther out of the gutter. It's not not really the case at all. With a eighty and eighty two record in twenty eighteen, and a seventy two and ninety record in twenty nineteen. I'm not looking at twenty twenty because it is short in season. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I think we can throw that away because there were a lot of restrictions of things like video rooms for that really affected a player like J.D. Martinez uh, and he really saw the ramifications of that uh, and the Phillies they led by Bryce Harper last year they also didn't show a large improvement of the year before they went 82 and 80 second in the NL East six and a half back of first place that first place team was the Atlanta Braves who ended up winning the World Series over the Houston Astros and they had a similar record to previous years as well. They were 80 and 82 in 2018, and then right at 500 in 2019 at 81 and 81. So, even with Bryce Harper leading the team as the uh, most valuable player in the National League in 2021, it didn't, you know, change the the team's performance. And I think that's just how baseball works. It's just it is. As, as individual as, as the sport is with pitcher and hitter matchups that are almost holistically individual other than the, the defense behind the picture, you know, it is a battle of one versus one. But, you know, all those one versus one matchups form a team. And so even if Otani hit 46 home runs as he did last year, you know, he can't play every position on the field, even if he can both pitch and hit. So next, I want to get into really what is tossed around a lot with the Most Valuable Player Award, which is uh, narrative, as if uh, sports writers and people discussing sports, uh, as they get partially into a season, they start to see someone who's performing well, and they, they're like, oh, we should, we should keep track of, of X, X through the season because, you know, they are 
making the leap that we've anticipated for years and you know maybe they could be in discussion for most valuable player and that's really how that quote narrative would start and so here are some recent examples in each sport uh and and the nba russell westbrook probably the most notable example i can think of in recent memory the 2016-17 season he averaged a triple double which was the second ever to do that last was oscar robertson in 1962 uh, he was also the focal point of the Oklahoma City Thunder after Kevin Durant left for the Warriors. So averaging a triple-double on paper, very impressive. And, I mean, being able to do that night in and night out for at a point guard who is right around six foot three is incredible, averaging 10 rebounds, 10 assists. But he, it's, it wasn't all about that. He had a lot of other great performances that year. He set his career high in points on March 7th with 58 he broke uh, the record of the most triple-doubles in a single season, which you would think would be the case if you're going to average a triple-double. But he had 42 uh, on the year. The previous record was Oscar Robertson with 41. It actually, was not the season he averaged a triple-double. This was the year before. Uh, but Westbrook also had three 50-point triple-doubles, which is insane. He had that all in one season, and that's the most ever for a career. And he did it all in an 82-game span, which is uh, very remarkable. Uh, and then they also, he led the Thunder to a 47-35 and 35 record as the sixth seed in the West. It's extremely similar to Jokic's performance last year, uh, one game worse, actually. And at the time, he was the first MVP winner that had 50 or less wins uh, since Moses Malone in 1982. So as much as we may think basketball is maybe a little more stats-driven than, uh, say, football, it's clear enough the case if you look at, at the winners. With Westbrook and then uh, Jokic last year, uh, you do need to lead your team to some semblance of success. It's not just uh, you know both ends of the spectrum as it is in uh, baseball and football. But at the time, yeah, a lot of people in and around basketball, especially those in favor of uh, looking at the analytics, loved uh, James Harden and the way he led Houston to a 55-27 and 27 record through in the West. And his uh, like advanced shooting numbers and usage were pretty remarkable at the time. But Harden was rewarded with an MVP the following year, but many did believe he should have won back-to-back most valuable player awards, but that was not the case. Over the NFL, if we're talking narratives, I would say it's a less narrative-driven award, but you can probably break the award down into three sort of categories, how they win it. Either a breakout quarterback who who tends to lead their team to a bye. That's usually how it works. Uh, 2016 Matt Ryan leading the Atlanta Falcons to Super Bowl 51 before utterly collapsing against the uh, New England Patriots. 2018 Patrick Mahomes, who led the Chiefs to the... AFC Championship game at Arrowhead Stadium before faltering to the New England Patriots and Tom Brady and the infamous overtime rules in the NFL, which somehow still have not changed. And 2019, Lamar Jackson. That was his MVP year. They did lose in the first round of the playoff. Well, not the first round because they had the bye. In their first game in the divisional series against the Tennessee Titans, very disappointing. But again, it MVP is a regular season award. I don't think you should amend that based off playoff performances, but that's just uh, what the case is. The other category for the NFL would be a historic year by a non-quarterback. And in my notes, I have historic bolded because it takes a lot because it doesn't happen a lot when you see a non-quarterback win the award because that's just, again, as I stated earlier, how important the quarterback position is in the NFL. So... The, the last two are both running back performances, ironically, even if the running back position is getting more, uh, I wouldn't say less valuable, but it is it is being perceived as less valuable by the contracts that elite running backs are getting, or maybe not getting in this case. Uh, 2012, Adrian Peterson, and 2006, Ladani and Tomlinson are the last two MVPs by a non-quarterback. So you don't even see defensive players, even as good as players like Vaughn Miller, J.J. Watt have been, or wide receivers such as Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, uh, in the past you know 20 or so years. Uh, the third category would just be 
an all-time great historic quarterback who just has, you know, one of their signature seasons. Tom Brady won in 2017, and then obviously the last past two years have been won by Aaron Rodgers. So if you don't really fit any of those categories, it's kind of tough to win. So, for instance, let's just look at uh, this season in the NFL. It's only been one week, Thursday Night Football tonight against uh, the Chiefs and the Chargers. Let's just look at them because they are both, uh, I would say they are in the top running for the award uh, coming into the season, certainly fueled by their great uh, performances in week one. If you're looking at Mahomes, I think he would have to have a great season and lead the, and lead the Chiefs to certainly the AFC West title, but uh, one of the top seeds in the AFC. If they got the number one seed and got that only by and did this without after the departure of Tyree Kill in the offseason, I think Mahomes would have a very strong case because a lot of people were trying to figure out how they would replace Tyree Kill in that offense with how dynamic he is and the uh, the way he stretches the field and opens up looks underneath for a guy like Travis Kelsey. Um, but if he did that, uh, I think the case would be made. And uh, in this, in our little uh, category section, that would be an all-time great quarterback season. Uh, if that's not the case for Justin Herbert of the Chargers, though. If he, again, if he won the AFC West, which I think would be very important due to how uh, competitive that division uh, looks to be, that would probably go in the breakout quarterback leading his team to a bye category, a la a Matt Ryan or a uh, young Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. But let's get back to baseball because this is the main focus on the show today. Uh, I'd just say it's not really a narrative award, usually just like the best performance. If you look in the National League this year, Paul Goldschmidt, he's just been the best player in the National League. They are still in a wild card spot, I believe. They might be first in the NL Central. I'd have to double check. But it's not like uh, they're, they're not one of the top teams in the NL. You know, that'd probably go to the Atlanta Braves, New York Mets, and Los Angeles Dodgers. But they're in a playoff spot. It's just a sort of unremarkable team season, but a remarkable performance by the individual player. So uh, it's certainly not fueled the same way, and the patterns aren't necessarily the same as the NFL and the NBA. So from all that, it's law talking, but it's a radio show. That's how it works. What have we learned so far? I think looking at the common threads between all the sports and the winners... I'd say there's three major factors that are used when determining a most valuable player, and any individual voter can change how much they weigh each of those categories based off the individual season, maybe rule changes such as uh, less buys and more more playoff teams in something like the NFL, or again, more playoff teams in uh, Major League Baseball, or more chances for the postseason through the playing tournament through the NBA. Um, or just based off, you know, just individual remarkable seasons. So those three categories I've broken down to are pure stats, which, uh, again, this even in that category, there's a lot of room for interpretation because you may prefer some, dare I say, more antiquated stats like picture wins or batting average, or if you're more keen on some newer stats like BABIP, for all those that aren't too familiar with BABIP, it stands for batting average on balls and play so it means uh you know if you hit the ball and play which is so excludes walks strikeouts and home runs how often do you get a hit are you good at uh placing the ball so that a fielder doesn't get it you know do you uh stick it through the hole in right where they are shifted against you or do you just do a routine grand out to third base for example and then also FIP is another one. People like stands for fielding, independent pitching. It is kind of the opposite of BABIP, but for pictures. So it, it measures how good a picture is at, at the three true outcomes of baseball, which would be strikeouts, home runs, and walks. Three true outcomes is because there's no way a fielder can screw it up because that is what a picture is fully in control of, a strikeout, a walk, or yielding a home run. So that's the first category, Category just looking at pure stats. Next would be team performance. So this comes down to 
dominance, such as being a top seed, as we saw with someone like Aaron Rodgers, uh, carrying an underperforming cast to a lower playoff seed, as we've seen someone like Nikola Jokic, or missing the playoffs entirely, as would be the case with Shohei Otani this year and certainly was last year. And the third category is something I prefaced in the last category, which was narratives and historical context. Is this player doing something never seen before or hasn't been done in 10 years, 30 years, 100 years, such as a Shohei Otani? Or are they breaking a record or coming close to a record that has you know, stood for a long time, such as Roger Maris' 61 home runs, which Aaron Judge, he is on pace to break with 57 at the moment, only four away from tying the record, and we still got about two, two and a half weeks left of baseball. So when we come back from the break, we're going to look at these three categories as it pertains to our American League MVP frontrunners, Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. We'll be back in a minute. Back from the break. So let's get into pure stats. Judge Otani, because there's a lot of stats here. Um, again, that's sort of what this show's about, throwback Saturday taking what's happening in sports, breaking down through statistics. So let's just compare Judge the hitter, because that's what he is, to Shohei Otani the hitter. Only half the player, but it is a comparison worth making. Just looking at some of the uh, slash lines for Judge, 310 batting average. These stats are of uh, Wednesday afternoon, so they did not include last night's stats. Uh, Aaron Judge, uh, yeah, 310 batting average, 414 on base, 692 slug. That makes for a 1.105 OPS. Shoya Otani with a 265 batting average, 356 on base, 534 slug. That makes for an 890 OPS. And if you want to use a stat like OPS Plus, which takes OPS and standardizes it across uh, a, a whole season, so how good of a performance a player is making relative to the rest of the league. Aaron Judge is at 209 OPS plus. Now league average, again, the whole point of OPS plus is so OPS is standardized. So 209 is two over two times as valuable as the average shooter, which would be at a 100 OPS. So that is just a crazy number. And if you think, oh, well, how good of numbers are, obviously it's high two times as good as the average hitter. You know, Aaron, I think Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball. How good is that? So for some context, it is the second highest single season OPS plus of an active hitter. So of any player that's currently playing in baseball. So that includes Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Mookie Betts, etc. Uh, the the only player higher than him is Juan Soto when he had a 200, 200, 217 OPS plus in 2020, but that only came in 196 at-bats because of the shortened 2020 season due to COVID-19 they started late. So it is that makes it the highest OPS plus of an active player over a complete season. And uh, by, you know, by a little bit, Second place would be Bryce Harper's uh, 2015 season with a 198 OPS plus. So that's 11 points higher. Keep in mind, Bryce Harper did this at age 22, which is just crazy considering Judge is 30 at the moment. And Mike Trout's uh, also added 198 OPS plus in, in 2018. Ironically, Mike Trout did not win the MVP that year. That went to Mookie Betts. But Mookie Betts brought a lot more value as arguably the best defender in baseball helming that big right field in Fenway Park. And also, for narrative-wise, uh, Betts led the Red Sox to over 100 wins. So did the Yankees. But still, they were first in the AL East and had a historic season. Uh, but when you go to Otani, that 148 OPS+, plus, it makes his season about one and a half times better than the average hitter, which is a good number. Um, oh, one other stat that stood out to me, just looking at their their hitting stats, comparing them, Judge has 16 intentional walks this year. It's a good amount. Otani has 13. So th there's no doubt that Judge is having a better offensive season because it's a historic season. You know, that's not where Otani brings all of his value. But this shows how feared Otani still is by opposing pictures. Because they were they 
are still willing to put him on base and not pitch the other guys. Maybe this is a case of the Angels having a weaker lineup, and so you'd rather pitch to uh, you know the guys after him than you would in the Yankee lineup. But the Yankees have had their own issue of injuries, so yeah, I just thought it was worth uh, mentioning. Now let's compare Otani to another picture because uh, Aaron Judge has a zero ERA but on zero innings because he's not a two-way player. Let's just compare Shoya Otani to Justin Verlander. Uh, simply for the sake, they're both having great seasons, both in the same division, not that that really matters. Uh, and Verlander is a household name. Everyone knows Justin Verlander, and he's also won an MVP uh, solely as a pitcher, which doesn't happen that often. They've also both missed some time this year. They only have 24 starts on the season. Um, compare that to the leader in pitching war, which is Sandy Alcantara, who has 29 starts, so five more starts than other than. So, I mean, looking at the traditional stats, Verlander is having a better season. Uh, he's lower ERA, uh, whip, which is walks, and hits per inning pitched. Uh, hits per nine, home runs per nine, walks per nine, and a higher ERA plus. Uh, ERA plus is very similar to OPS plus, in which it takes, in this case, ERA and standardizes it across the league all the time due to uh, ballpark conditions. So... A high, in this case, uh, a higher ERA plus is better, unlike ERA itself. Uh, and so I'm not trying to make the argument here that Otani's having a better season than Justin Verlander as a pitcher, but, I mean, he he does strike out more. Strikeout numbers are he strikes about three more per nine than Verlander. And he also has a lower FIP, which we introduced FIP fielding independent pitching earlier, which means... He's maybe gone a little unlucky with the defense behind him. So, I mean, on paper, Otani is having a worse offensive season than Judge, obvious. Uh, but even if he's feared enough with those intentional walks, I just find that interesting. Sort of like how if you watch the NFL uh, Top 100, where the league's players uh, rank their own players and see who they think is the best player in the league, you'll, you'll see some of that and you'll be like, oh, how's this guy so high? How's this guy so low? Like how is Matt Jones in the top 100 over some other quarterbacks, for instance. Um, and that lineup argument isn't uh, fully fleshed out either. Uh, John Carlos Stanton, the second-best Yankee hitter, even if you may prefer uh, the style of someone like DJ LeMayhew, he's missed 47 games this year, a significant part of the season, nearly a third. And Mike Trout, the, the best hitter on the Angels and one of the best players in all baseball of all time, He's missed 41 games this season, uh, six less than Stan, but still around a quarter of the year. But the fact that you can compare Justin Verlander's season to Shohei Otani, or rather the other way around, and that he is being intentionally walked only three times less than the best hitter in baseball this year in Aaron Judge, I mean, that's insane. Like, let's not act like this isn't some crazy thing. Uh, I'm going to get into this at the end, but let's not take that for granted. Uh, let me just pull up two more stats here before we get to the next part from Jeremy Frank on Twitter. He's at MLB Random Stats. Uh, great guy. Always has great insight. I recommend following him there if you want to see how he brings some statistics and makes them more accessible to the average baseball fan. But through 544 MLB games, uh, Shoei Otani has a slash line of 265, 354, 538. John Carlos has 271, 360, So in the start of their career, Shohei Otani is hitting like Giancarlo Stanton. And through 59 MLB pitching appearances, uh, Shohei Otani is a 3.1 ERA and 11.4 strikeouts per nine. Matt Scherzer had a 4.3 ERA, worse, and a 9.2 strikeouts per nine. Still good, but worse. So you're telling me that through the start of their careers, Otani is hitting like Giancarlo Stanton and pitching better than Max Scherzer. Now, Scherzer got better as his career progressed. He didn't come into uh, Arizona and then Detroit, and he wasn't immediately the guy he is today and the guy we've known for the last 10 years. But it's it's still crazy. Now, if we're going to look at team performance, because this is something worth mentioning, uh, this is of Wednesday afternoon, so it does not include last night's games. The Angels are 61 and 81 on the year. Fourth in the AL West. Uh, they were 39 and 53 in the first half. Not very good. 
but they have been uh, better in the second half, 22 and 28. The Yankees, the darlings of the media, 86 and 56. First in the AL East, uh, they had a terrific start to the year, 64 and 28 in the first half. That's over a 750 winning percentage. But their second half record has, interestingly enough, also been 22 and 28. They have been the just as good as the Angels in the second half of the year. Um, the Yankees are still a converse, in the conversation with the best team in Major League Baseball. They have the fourth highest odds to win the World Series, according to FanDuel. They're plus 600 after the Dodgers are plus 310, Astros are plus 400, Mets are plus 500. But I do think it's worth mentioning that if the Yankees were on the historic pace that they had to start the year, as a lot of people, maybe not a lot, some people predicted them to break the all-time wins record of 116 by the 2001 Seattle Mariners, it's not a question. Aaron Judge is the MVP because if he leads the team to the best season ever and then also has arguably the best uh, hitting season by a right-handed hitter ever, yes, MVP all day. But the door has been cracked, I think, by the Yankees slowing down, and that's not all due to Judge. Judge has been in the lineup playing center field, tough position, and for a lot of it now being at the top of the order, which is also difficult. So there is due credit that needs to uh, be given to Judge there, but again, I think the context is important here. Great transition to a historical context because this is a category that's very interesting because in a lot of these cases for MVP, it usually helps one candidate more so than another. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, 2017 Russell Westbrook over James Harden. Westbrook's triple doubles and what he was doing uh, in terms of uh, triple doubles uh, was in a way more notable to many than James Harden's just great statistical year. But Otani and Judge are both having historic seasons, and that's duly important, even if it's for different reasons. Let's look at Otani. 2.55 ERA, 34 home runs. Yes, it's less than 46 home runs last year. Last year, he also started the All-Star game. That was the day after he competed in the home run derby like that's let's not act like that's not insane but let's also not act like a slightly worse otani season by hitting he's a better pitcher it's not still isn't a ridiculous feat isn't still something we may never see again and we hadn't seen before aaron judge on the other hand has a chance to break roger maris's Seemingly immortal, 61 mark for the Yankees, leads the team at the top of the AL East in the New York spotlight while hitting leadoff and center field. And here's another stat just to contextualize his performance. If we're going to take the best post-World War II, just because it helps sort of modernize the list here, uh, OPS plus seasons, here are all the best ones. It goes Barry Bonds has a couple, uh, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Juan Soto's abbreviated 2020 season. Mark McGuire, Jeff Bagwell, and Frank Thomas in 1994. That was a short striking season. Uh, Willard Brown, and then Aaron Judge. Like what I was saying earlier, better than any Mike Trout year, any Miguel Cabrera year, any Albert Pujols year, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Go through any of the contemporaries. What he's doing has not been seen uh, you know, over the course of a full season since. Uh, Barry Bonds. He's not Barry Bonds, but still worth mentioning. Now, there's something I do want to mention. It's this concept of voting fatigue and uh, what it means. And I think we're going to get to that right after the break. Back from the break, as I teased before the break, voting fatigue. So what is that? What does it mean? Why is it important here? Why should I care as the average fan? As I said, it's something that needs to be mentioned because the way we were talking about Shohei Otani, it's a lot of it's centered on, yeah, that's a good season for him. You know, maybe not as good as it was last year. It's not the hot new thing like it was last year. Um, and that maybe someone like Aaron Judge, he is, say, due for an MVP after some thought he was snubbed by Jose Altuve in 2017. Um, so, yeah, again, so in a nutshell, it's the idea that 
MVP voters will get sick of voting for the same great player, and so that opens the door for maybe a slightly worse season by a player who hasn't gotten that same spotlight before. Some examples are 1997 Karl Malone winning over Michael Jordan, who was just having another great Michael Jordan season. That's what he does, what he did in the late 90s for the Bulls. Early to mid, early to late 90s, obviously, took the break in between to play baseball. Um, but at that time, in 1997, Michael Jordan had already won four MVPs. Karl Malone had zero, and that underappreciated narrative came up that maybe Karl Malone, you know, he's doing some great things in, in Utah on the court, and people aren't appreciating that, and maybe Karl Malone should get the MVP award. You know, I think that'd be nice. And so it's a little more complicated than that, but in a nutshell, that's what happened, and Karl Malone won the MVP over Michael Jordan, and then... We all know what Jordan did. He just went out and won another finals. Now, I don't know if I would call it voting fatigue in this case because I think it's more so just an underappreciation for the absolutely insane, remarkable things Shohei Otani is doing on the baseball field because he's putting together some of or just the best seasons in baseball history. And But it's not the flashy new thing this year. It, it was last year, and he was leading every sports segment as is he like the ba- the best athlete ever but this year it's like oh yeah he's having another good year for Otani not you know it's not as as remarkable or or it didn't stand out like it did last year because we hadn't seen it before I think it's sort of similar to comparing it to uh if you look at some of the great NBA players I'm gonna reference basketball a lot on this show because i am primarily basketball guy basketball podcast as well so i i know a lot of the history there if you look at some of the mvp winners over the years in the nba you'll see players like Dwayne wade carmelo anthony Kawhi leonard scotty pippen john stockton the list goes on have never won mvp awards and you're like oh Dwayne wade he's like you know one of the best shooting guards ever Kawhi leonard uh, all-time clutch player Scotty Pippen, maybe the best second option ever. John Stockton, the all-time assist and steals leader. How have they never won an MVP? Well, let's put it into context. It's really hard to win an MVP when you're playing with and against all-time greats like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant. It goes on and on and on. And you can be really good, but you may not be the best. I'm afraid that could be happening this season with Shohei Otani. Where it's like, why are we taking him for granted? Kevin O'Connor says this a lot. Kevin O'Connor, a writer and podcaster for The Ringer. Go check his stuff out. Always produces great things, but he has a saying, he says a lot, don't take LeBron James for granted. And I think in this case, we're talking about don't take Shohei Otani for granted. That's the end of my sort of uh, audio essay. You know, I see video essays a lot. So... So now I got to figure out who I, who, <clears throat> excuse me, who I think is going to be the MVP. I don't know who you are. So if we're looking at it, if you if you asked me yesterday afternoon, I would have said Aaron Judge, and I wouldn't have hesitated at all because him having arguably the best season by right-handed hitter ever while playing center field for a team that gets as much scrutiny and spotlight as the New York Yankees while being a leadoff hitter. And he does it with a lot of humility and doesn't demand the spotlight. And he, you know, he's, he's just a good guy, good teammate. It's incredibly difficult to do. But as I started to sort of wrap up on my notes here and what I try to gather my thoughts... Are, are we going to be looking back in 10 years, maybe if Otani, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, maybe falls off the map or, or maybe he, something happens and he, he can't be a two-way guy. Maybe he can only pitch or maybe only hit. And we look back and saying, this guy had a 2-5 ERA, hit 34 bombs, and he didn't win the MVP? Like, what, what was our issue? So... Again, a lot of this is when you're playing with as much talent as there is across sports, NBA, NFL, MLB, uh, you know, soccer, uh, hockey, any sport. There's there's just so much talent 
that even if you are really good, you may not be as good as the best. So whoever doesn't win, it'll be a shame, but that's the way it goes. Now, if uh, either we're in the National League, I think that's the pair of MVPs we're looking at. I guess the good thing you can say about baseball is you have the American League MVP and the National League MVP, so two guys get honored. So I think they would win over Paul Goldschmidt uh, just because Goldschmidt's having a a good season. It's not like it's not like some all-time historic. It's you know he's best player in the National League. But if Otani or Judge were over there, so you have let's say Otani in the AL, Judge in the NL, then yeah, they would both those would be the pair of MVPs we're looking at. But at the end of the day, one of them's not going to win it, and it's going to suck, and that's just going to be the way it is. So. I think I give it to Otani just because he, here's another stat from uh, MLB Random Stats, Jeremy Frank. Shoei Otani has there's stat that just it's not, I wouldn't really call it a stat it's just, these are numbers. Uh, played appearances plus batters faced. So how many really, I guess, plays is Shoei Otani involved in, whether he's pitching to a hitter or if he's hitting against the picture. Uh, he has 1,146 of those. Aaron Judge, between plate appearances and chances in the field, this is worth mentioning because Judge plays center field and a little bit of right and left, whereas Shohei Otani this year has exclusively DH'd. He has not played uh, in the outfield at all. 857. So Otani, to quote Frank, has 33% more plays involved in, and that's generously counting fielding chances as equal to a plate appearance or a batter's face, which is, uh, you know, not equal. You've maybe having a routine uh, pop fly to you, I don't think carries as much weight as uh, pitching against hitter or hitting off a pitcher. So Otani's just more, and he has more chances to bring value to a team. 33% 33% more ability to strike out a big hitter in a big uh, spot or try to drive in a run. He's just, honestly, that's just, it's more value brought to the table. Again, it'd be a different thing if Otani was a two-way player that was not as, not as good of a pitcher as he was or if he wasn't as good of a hitter as he was. But he does both at such an elite level and that's you know what this argument is about is that he he does both an elite level again nothing against Aaron Judge I at least based off the pace it looks like he will break Roger Maris's mark of 61 home runs in a season and for the Yankees that's a big deal and with the Yankees being the international brand that they are you see the NY hats everywhere and how important that team is to the city that's amazing. Now, it would be ironic if, if Judge didn't win the MVP and then he led the Yankees to a World Series. I don't think he'd really care if, if that happened because he'd be content with the championship. But just the irony there. So so I think Shohei Otani w- should win the MVP. Do I think he, he will win it? No. I think what Aaron Judge is doing from a historical perspective uh, – as a right-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium, playing center field, will be rewarded. Um, maybe that's just due to a younger demographic like me gravitating towards uh, maybe more like advanced statistics and seeing the value there, whereas someone who has seen hitters come to Yankee Stadium and not be able to replicate that Roger Maris season and not be able to handle the spotlight of New York and playing center field and being leadoff and being as big of a figure he is in New York media and for the city they may take more weight in that and that's okay I mean that's why I think it's so compelling about this argument Mike Petrilio I believe that's how you say it of MLB.com actually wrote interesting piece today about is war the stat really capturing Shohei Otani's full value because Shohei Otani has a war wins above replacement so how how I I would have to look more into how exactly how war is calculated, but 
how many more wins does a player offer over the course of a full season than the average player, a replacement player. Shohei Otani's war is 8.1, second in the league to Aaron Judge's 9.7. Now, it's a big difference. That's because war, uh, it does take into account defensive positions. So an average DH season where you're not making an impact of the field is inherently less valuable than an average shortstop position because shortstop is, or average shortstop season, because shortstop is arguably the most important defense position. Capture as well is highly elevated and center field, which Judge has been playing a lot of. So it's not a perfect stat, even if it does take into account what Shohei Otani is doing pitching. Just thought it was an interesting article, interesting read. But yeah, as these last couple weeks come, I don't think the record of the Angels or the Yankees will, moving on, play a big factor into who wins this award unless the Yankees totally drop off the map and they open the door for the Blue Jays or the Rays to come in and win the division. A collapse like that, I think, could affect their chances. The Angels are not in it, and honestly, that could benefit Otani in this case because, you know, you... You, you can't collapse because you're already bad. So, again, I think Judge will win. I think Otani should win. I'd be curious to see what all you uh, have to say out there, but that's what makes it so interesting. So, two minutes left here until the top of the hour at three when my time is done. Just wanted to talk about another big statistics thing. Monday Night Football this week, Seahawks-Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett, new coach of the Denver Broncos, decides to take the 4th and 5 all the way down to the 22nd mark and go for a 64-yard field goal by kicker Brandon McManus. He misses, and people are wondering why would you pay Russell Wilson all that money and have him not go for it on 4th and 5, or why would you take that 40 seconds or whatever it was down to the wire and not... And not give yourself more time because then he calls timeouts after with like 15 seconds left. What are you doing? Why wouldn't you do that just with a minute to go? Well, if you look at uh, some statistics, Brian Burke of ESPN, great sports analyst, he ran the numbers. So saying that if they kicked that field goal with 20 seconds left after they, they took that time down, called the timeout, it gave them a 29% chance to win by kicking the field goal. Not the highest, but that's just what the numbers. If they took, if they kicked that ball, fourth and five, four yarder, McManus with a minute left, they call the timeout as soon as, as they get that down in distance. Timeout, minute left. Their win percentage would have been thirty-four percent, five percent higher than that. Now, when you're down on the field, you, you're not, <laughs> you know, you don't have someone in your ear. They just ran the numbers saying, "Hey, call." Call timeout. You're going to have 5% higher to, to win if you kick it now. But it just seems like common sense. Why wouldn't you call the timeout and just give yourself more room on the back end? That's why if you're down by a couple scores, you go for the two points earlier. So if you don't get it, you have more time to figure out if you have to onside kick or you want to try to rush more to get a blitz, force fumble, etc. Moral story is you need to give yourself more time and the numbers back it up. And, you know, I'm not really sure what Hackett did. Anyways, 10 seconds left until 3 o'clock. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back next week, next Thursday, 2 o'clock, for more Throwback Saturday. This is 98.1 WQAQ, and I'm off.